Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Secretary of State Antony Blinken postponing his trip to China after a suspected high-altitude Chinese surveillance balloon is detected over the United States mainland. Secretary Blinken calling that balloon a violation of U.S. sovereignty and international law and an irresponsible act by China. China's government claiming it's a weather balloon that inadvertently went off course a claim that the Biden administration rejects. Coming up, we'll have the latest on the balloon and U.S.-China relations with Secretary Blinken, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, the Pentagon Press Secretary, some members of Congress, and we will talk with a foreign policy analyst, James Carafano from the Heritage Foundation. Jobs report for January, much larger than expected. 517,000 jobs created, according to the Labor Department, Unemployment rate falling from 3.5% to 3.4%. President Biden calling the jobs report strikingly good news. And the Democratic National Committee winter meeting in Philadelphia will see a vote to set the 2024 presidential primary calendar that has new states going first instead of Iowa and New Hampshire. We'll hear from the DNC chair, Jamie Harrison. And we start with the balloon. This from the Associated Press, a huge, high-altitude Chinese balloon sailed across the U.S. on Friday, drawing severe Pentagon accusations of spying despite China's firm denials. Secretary of State Antony Blinken abruptly canceled a high-stakes Beijing trip aimed at easing U.S.-China tensions. President Joe Biden declined to comment on the matter when questioned at an economic event. Two 2024 re-election challengers, former President Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor and U.N. ambassador, said the U.S. should immediately shoot down the balloon. That from AP. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke about it at the State Department in Washington late afternoon during a meeting with the South Korean foreign minister. I spoke this morning with director of the CCP Central Foreign Affairs Office, Wang Yi, to convey that in light of China's unacceptable action, I am postponing my planned travel this weekend to China. As you know, President Biden and President Xi agreed during their meetings in Bali uh, in November that I would travel to Beijing to follow up on their discussions. We've been working across the U.S. government to prepare for a substantive set of discussions on issues that matter to the American people and to people around the world. And we've been engaging for some time with our counterparts in Beijing to prepare for these meetings. Yesterday, the Department of Defense announced that we had detected and were tracking a high-altitude surveillance balloon that remains over the continental United States. We continue to track and monitor the balloon closely. We're confident this is a Chinese surveillance balloon. Once we detected the balloon, the U.S. government acted immediately to protect against the collection of sensitive information. We communicated with the PRC government directly through multiple channels about this issue. Members of my team consulted with our partners in other agencies and in Congress. We also engaged our close allies and partners to inform them of the presence of the surveillance balloon in our airspace. We concluded that 
conditions were not conducive for a constructive visit at this time. In my call today with Director Wang Yi, I made clear that the presence of this surveillance balloon in U.S. airspace is a clear violation of U.S. sovereignty and international law, that it's an irresponsible act, and that the PRC's decision to take this action on the eve of my planned visit is detrimental to the substantive discussions that we were prepared to have. I told uh, Director Wong that the United States remains committed to diplomatic engagement with China and that I plan to visit Beijing when conditions allow. In the meantime, the United States will continue to maintain open lines of communication with China, including to address this ongoing incident. Indeed, that's why we need direct and regular communications in the first place, and that's why it's critical that such lines remain open at all times to help avoid miscalculation and conflict. One final but important note. The world expects the United States and China to manage our relationship responsibly. And indeed, addressing many of today's global challenges, challenges that affect the lives of our people and people around the world, demands that we find a way to work together as well. The United States will continue to act in a way that reflects that responsibility. We look to our PRC counterparts to do the same. Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the State Department in Washington, along with the visiting South Korean foreign minister. The Chinese foreign ministry out with a statement about the balloon, saying the Chinese side regrets the unintended entry of the airship into U.S. airspace due to force majeure. Associated Press explaining that that term, force majeure, is an international legal term used to refer to events beyond one's control. The White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre asked when President Biden found out about the balloon and was briefed on it. Also, the decision for Secretary of State Blinken to postpone his scheduled visit to China. Karine Jean-Pierre speaking with reporters on Air Force One. When did the White House learn about the balloon and why was there a delay in you know, disclosing that the balloon was out there? Um, secondly, did the president make the decision to cancel the Secretary of State's trip? And what does this episode say about U.S.-China relations at this time? Okay. That's a lot of questions right there. Uh, so uh, he was the president was briefed on this on Tuesday. He was uh, he has been uh, continued to receive regular briefings and updates from the national security team. I just want to reiterate what the Pentagon said earlier today. My counterpart, uh, uh, we've detected and is tracking a high altitude surveillance balloon that is over the continental United States right now. As you all know, it does not present a military or physical threat to people on the ground. Uh, President Biden was briefed, as I just stated, uh, and he and he asked the military to present options. It was the it was the strong recommendation by Secretary uh, uh, Austin, Chairman Milley, the commander of Northern Command, not to take kinetic action because of the risk to safety and and security of the people on the mili- on the ground. President Biden took the rec- that recommendation from the military seriously of his advisors, clearly. The president will always put the safety of, of the security of the American people first. And as my colleague said over the Department of Defense uh, earlier today, we are tracking closely and keeping all options on the table. I can say as it relates to uh, uh, Lincoln's trip, uh, the president agrees with the secretary uh, secretary's decision to not uh, go uh, to uh, go on this trip. And uh, it was a consensus that w- that it was not appropriate to travel to the People's Republic of China at this time. We know that the PRC statement uh, of regret, but the, res- the presence of this balloon in our airspace 
It is a clear violation of our sovereignty as well as international law, and it is unacceptable uh, this, this occurred. And to your question about the relationship moving forward, look, the president is always going to put uh, the, the safety of, uh, of Americans and the security of American people first. Uh, under this president, we are more prepared to, to uh, outcompete China, protect our national security, and advance a free and open Indo-Pacific than ever before. Many of the efforts we have been pursuing are bipartisan. Uh, underscoring the alignment at, at home and uh, and on this key issue. Uh, and so that's how we're going to continue to proceed. The White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre flying on Air Force One, taking reporters' questions. Leaders of the new House Select Committee on China, Republican Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin and Democrat Raja Krishnamurthy of Illinois, putting out a joint statement Thursday night that reads, the Chinese Communist Party should not have on-demand access to American airspace. Not only is this a violation of American sovereignty, coming only days before Secretary Blinken's trip to the PRC, but it also makes clear that the CCP's recent diplomatic overtures do not represent a substantive change in policy. Indeed, this incident demonstrates that the CCP threat is not confined to distant shores. It is here at home, and we must act to counter this threat. Today, Congressman Gallagher was interviewed on the Fox News Channel. Well, it seems an act of espionage at a minimum. And just if the shoe were on the other foot, if this were an American asset over Chinese airspace, do you think they'd hesitate for one second to shoot that down? Indeed, they also have a history of shooting down our U-2 aircraft. So the fact that we didn't take action, again, I just don't understand it. You know, the other thing we've heard from the Pentagon and from the administration is that, well, this has happened multiple times before. You know, I've talked to multiple high-level Trump administration officials Mm -hmm. in the last 24 hours. Uh, None of them really have... uh, uh, know what that that is referring to right now. So if indeed the Pentagon had awareness of, of incidents like this before this one and failed to share it, that would raise further questions. So the response has been insufficient so far. I'm glad, however, that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken canceled or mm-hmm. postponed his trip to Beijing. It would have looked very weird for him to do a grip and grin with Xi Jinping after this violation of our sovereignty. He should cancel it. And the next time the Chinese want to meet, they should have to come to us here in the United States and they should apologize for this incident. Congressman Mike Gallagher, Republican from Wisconsin, he'll be chairing the new House Select Committee on the threat posed by the Communist Party of China. That's how the committee describes their mission. Interviewed today on the Fox News Channel. One of the states that the suspected Chinese spy balloon was seen over was Montana. Senator Steve Daines, Republican of Montana, sending a letter to the Pentagon writing that the fact that this balloon was occupying Montana airspace creates significant concern that Malmstrom Air Force Base and the United States Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Fields are the targets of this intelligence gathering mission. Montana's other U.S. Senator, Democrat John Tester, interviewed today on MTN News. First of all, China has been doing their level best to become the leader in the world and supplant us economically and militarily. Mm -hmm. This is not surprising. They're doing stuff all the time. Most of it is up in space. But this time it happens to be a balloon. Mm-hmm. Um, very disturbing, mm-hmm. uh, and we need to treat it very, very seriously. I will tell you, we have, our military leaders looked at this, looked at the options, looked at the threat, and made a decision. I will get briefed on this because I happen to be chairman of the defense subcommittee that funds the military. Uh, I will get briefed on this early next week on exactly why they did what they did. 
But in the end, it is very disturbing. And it's one of the reasons I am carrying a bill with rounds on not allowing China to buy farmland in the United States and other countries. And it's why we need to continue to make sure that we are prepared, both militarily, uh, on the ground, on the sea, in the air, and in space, to deal with the threat that China is, because China is our most significant threat in this world right now. And that balloon yesterday is just a sign that uh, we need to really really handle these, and we have been, by the way, for many decades, handle like they're the threat that they are. Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, on MTN News in Montana. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder holding a news conference today and getting a lot of questions about this balloon. We'll start with AP, Tarka. Hi, Pat. Thank you for doing this. Um, China has said this is just a weather balloon that has veered off course why is the Pentagon convinced that this is a surveillance balloon? And then can you give us a little bit more on the status of the balloon? You said it's in the central of the, uh, cent- central U.S. What state? Do you have any guidance for people as they see this balloon or they're trying to photograph it or maybe try and interfere with it? Sure. Uh, thanks, Tara. Uh, so first of all, we are aware of the PRC's statement. Um, however, the fact is uh, we know that it's a surveillance balloon. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to be more specific than that. Uh, we do know that the balloon has violated U.S. airspace and international law, uh, which is unacceptable. And so we've conveyed this directly to the PRC at multiple levels. Uh, and in terms of specific locations, uh, I'm not going to be able to go into specific locations again, other than to say it's moving eastward at this time. Yeah, you had a follow up. As people start to see the balloon, do you have any guidance for, should they try not to interfere, not photograph? Uh, So the balloon is currently assessed to be at about 60,000 feet. So again, well above uh, the the range of civilian air traffic or where civilian uh, air traffic would normally fly. uh, certainly aware that there are cameras, uh, you know, civilian owned commercial cameras that could spot this balloon um, in, in terms of um, guidance to folks. Again, this is something that NORAD is closely monitoring. Uh, we do assess at this time that it does not pose a physical threat, as I mentioned, uh, to people on the ground. Uh, so we'll just leave it at that. Pentagon Press Secretary Pat Ryder, who's also an Air Force Brigadier General, with reporters in the Pentagon briefing room. Another question that he got was about the size of the balloon. And in his answer, he refers to why the option of shooting it down has been rejected. Thank you. Um, How big is the balloon that you're tracking? And is it, have you guys picked up, is it leaving anything in its wake like sensors? Yeah, so so on your latter uh, question, I'm not not gonna get into intelligence. Um, we, We do continue to monitor the balloon. We do know that it is a surveillance balloon. Um, in terms of the size, I'm, I'm not able to get into the specifics other than to say uh, that it is big enough uh, that, again, uh, in reviewing uh, our approach, we do recognize that uh, any potential debris field would be significant uh, and potentially cause civilian uh, injuries or deaths uh, or significant property damage. So, again, this is part of the calculus in terms of our overall assessment. Uh, but, again, we'll continue to monitor it. We'll continue to review our options. Uh, and keep you updated as able. Pentagon Press Secretary General Pat Ryder. Joining us on the phone is James Carafano, Vice President of the Heritage Foundation Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Thanks so much for being with us. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken was about to visit China. Now that trip is being postponed. What does this do to U.S. relations with China? 
Well, honestly, I think it shows the, really the great flaw in in kind of the U.S. strategy, which in many many ways were, looks just like the Obama strategy, which is cooperate when we can, but, you know, compete where we must. This notion that we're going to balance this relationship because we're, we're going to find ways to work together and we're going to you know push back on things that that we don't like. Well, this just shows how incredible that is. I mean, just think, for example, you know, Chinese obviously can time the release of the blue in the Surveillance Act, and they're doing this exactly at the time that they know the Secretary of State is coming to China. I mean, who does that? You know, the U.S., for example, we canceled a missile test when the, when the war with Ukraine broke out because we didn't want the Russians, oh, my God, to think that, you know, that, that we were up to something. Um, the Chinese have no fear of that. And, and so it's, it's very, very hard to say we're just going to find a, a way to work with a bully and just ask them to be less, less of a bully. In your answer, you're suggesting that this was an intentional release, and yet they're saying it's a weather balloon. Well, there's a couple of problems with that explanation. One is, um, and this raises a whole other set of issues, because apparently the U.S. government has observed these surveillance balloons before. Um, so it's, it's not just a balloon that went off course. The, the balloons are going over areas of military significance. Guam, um, they went over military bases in Hawaii. Um, there's one over Canada, which is where we have our <clears throat> strategic uh, early warning system. So, and then you look at the sophistication of the technology, and there's something called SIGINT, which is signal intelligence, right? So <clears throat> that balloon is transmitting to somebody. <clears throat> we can listen to it transmit. I would bet you a million bucks that everything that's being transmitted by that balloon is in code. Weather balloons do not, you know, <laughs> encode information when they transmit it. They transmit it in the clear. So it's demonstrably easy to prove that that's not true. We often hear about Chinese spy efforts that seem to be a little bit more sophisticated, using human spies inside the United States. I mean, they could even use spy satellites. Why balloons? Well, so on the, on the one hand, I would say, that these these systems actually can be quite sophisticated. We use them. Um, uh, Russia uses them. We have both what's called aerostats, which are permanently tethered balloons that kind of float there to gather intelligence, and also free-floating balloons like like the Chinese are using. So they actually can be quite sophisticated. But but the the the, the other point, of course, is the the Chinese actually have very very good satellite capability, which can collect a lot of really good data. And so the question is, well, why are they doing this? And, and the fact that we don't have a good answer for that, I, I think that's one of the most troubling parts of the whole incident. We're talking with James Carfano from the Heritage Foundation. You wrote a paper in December titled Countering China's Drive for Global Dominance. What was the uh, point of that paper and the message to the Biden administration? Well, I think the, the reality is, and, the, and if you actually look at Chinese writing, policies, Chinese actual actions, there, there's no question that they have an adversarial relationship with the United States and that they see the expansion and influence of Chinese power having to come at the expense of the United States. So any strategy that says, well, you know, we just need to learn how to get along, I think really misinterprets the, the, the fundamental construct of our relationship, which is they're our adversary. They're not really interested and just figuring out how to get along. Now, to be honest, as somebody who actually was very liked a lot of the, the Trump foreign policy, in retrospect, 
I think Trump got China wrong. His he came in and said, "Oh, this is really about you know balance of of, of trade, you know, and I'm just going to you know beat them up and get them to trade more fairly, and then the Chinese will behave and everything fine." In retrospect, I think that was not nearly tough enough. We have to treat China like an adversary, and this administration is unwilling to do that for lots of reasons, including for the fact that that they think that China's cooperation on climate policy is is essential. And even though they have no way to actually get that, they continue to think that they have to find ways of constructive engagement. And I just don't think it's going to work. This balloon incident seems to have struck a nerve with a lot of Republican elected officials. They've been tweeting, shoot it down. Do you think there'll be any long-term consequences? Well, I, I think it illustrates that the fundamental premise of uh, Biden's triumph of uh, Biden's China policy is is flawed, uh, and this particular incident may not be something like you know Sputnik, but remember we've got uh, an incoming Congress that has a committee that's just dedicated to looking at Chinese activities. This is all going to continue to build, and and I think the problem for the administration is in many ways they're behind many Americans who really see China as an adversary. And they're actually behind many of our allies excuse me, who see China as an adversary. And they're, they're, they're still in the can't we just figure out how to get a oil cap. And I think you're just going to find that's unsustainable over time. And, and if they didn't like what happened today, they're going to be less and less happy in the future when more and more of these things happen. James Carafano, vice president of the Heritage Foundation Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy, on Twitter, it's at JJ Carafano, and the article's at heritage.org. Thank you very much. And out to the war in Ukraine, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing during a meeting with Ukraine's top prosecutor in Washington that he has authorized the first transfer of forfeit Russian assets to be put towards the war and the recovery. It's an effort that's allowed under a new U.S. law signed by President Biden last year, confiscated from sanctioned Russian businessman Konstantin Malavlyev. Congress has also given the Justice Department new authority to transfer certain assets we have seized from Russian oligarchs for the rebuilding of Ukraine. Today, I am announcing that I have authorized the first ever transfer of forfeited Russian assets for use in Ukraine. These forfeited assets follow the announcement I made last April of the indictment of designated Russian oligarch Kostanin Malafeyev on charges of sanctions occasions. At that time, I also announced the seizure of millions of dollars from an account of a U.S. financial institution traced to Malafeyev's sanctions evasions. Yesterday, U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York ordered the funds forfeited to the United States. With my authorization today, the forfeited funds will next be transferred to the State Department to support the people of Ukraine. Before I turn over the podium to the Prosecutor General, I want to recognize the many Justice Department personnel involved in this work. Particularly, I want, to jo- I want to thank the Justice Department's Task Force Klepto Capture and the War Crimes Accountability Team. I am incredibly proud of them. The Justice Department will continue to hold accountable Russian oligarchs and others whose criminal acts enable the Russian government to continue 
It's unprovoked and unjust war in Ukraine. Attorney General Merrick Garland at the Justice Department in Washington. He was sitting beside the Ukrainian Prosecutor General Andrei Kostnin, who thanked the United States. Today, we are witnessing the authorization of transfer of the confiscated assets in the amount of 5.4 million U.S. dollars to the State Department for the purpose of rebuilding war-ravaged Ukraine. The inherent part of the accountability is that the responsible party pays for the devastation that it caused. Therefore, the reparation of tremendous human and material damage to Ukraine and Ukrainian people is an important aspect in our quest for justice. This is a clear message. There will be no immunity and impunity for international crimes. At the same time, we all know that the international crimes are committed by individuals and only by holding them accountable along with Russian Federation, we can consider justice served. Ukrainian Prosecutor General Andrei Kostnin at the Justice Department in Washington with the Attorney General Merrick Garland. Pentagon today also announcing a new Ukraine military aid package, $2.2 billion. It includes longer-range missiles for the first time. New York Times reports American officials estimate that nearly 200,000 Russian troops have been killed or wounded in the war with Ukraine, which will hit the one-year mark later this month. And this week, Ukraine's defense minister saying that Russia is planning a major offensive to coincide with the anniversary. It's February 24th and is massing half a million troops on Ukraine's borders. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, which you can get as a podcast on the C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you get your podcasts. CNBC reports the employment picture started off 2023 on a stunningly strong note, with non-farm payrolls posting their biggest gain since July 2022. Non-farm payrolls increased by 517,000 for January, above the Dow Jones estimate of 187,000 and December's gain of 260,000 according to a Labor Department report. The unemployment rate fell to 3.4% versus the estimate for 3.6%. That's the lowest jobless level since May 1969. The labor force participation rate edged higher to 62.4%. That from CNBC. President Joe Biden talking about this jobs report this morning in the Eisenhower Executive Office building. Before I head to Philadelphia, I wanted to say a few words about Oh, I think is strikingly good news that we just received. Next week, I'll be reporting on the State of the Union. But today, today I'm happy to report that the State of the Union and the state of our economy is strong. We learned this morning that the economy has created 517,000 jobs just last month, more than half a million jobs in just the month of January. In addition, we also learned that we are half a million more jobs created last year than we thought. So the January report is updated. I mean, excuse me, the December report is updated. Add that all up, it means we've created 12 million, 12 million jobs since I took office. That means we have created more jobs in two years than any presidential term, than any time. 
in two years. That's the strongest two years of job growth in history by a long shot. As my dad used to say, a job's about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. And 12 million more Americans get up every morning knowing they can provide for their families with the dignity and sense of self-worth that had been missing. We also learned that the unemployment rate fell to 3.4%. 3.4%. That's the lowest in 54 years. In fact, the last time unemployment rate was that low was May of 1969. Think about that. And what's more, black and Hispanic unemployment are near record lows. This matters. More working age folks coming to the labor market looking for jobs last month than have in a long while. That is, remember all the talk about no one looking for, we need more people coming into the market. Well, more people are coming into the market looking for jobs and getting jobs. A positive sign for the health of the economy going forward. And even as the job market reaches historic highs, Inflation continues to come down. Inflation has now fallen for six straight months. Gas prices are down more than $1.50 a gallon since their peak. Food inflation is falling as well. And as inflation is coming down, take-home pay for workers is going up. Real wages are up. Wages for lower-income, middle-income workers have gone up even more. A couple, a couple of that with a 2.9% economic growth last quarter. And here's where we stand the strongest job growth in history, the lowest unemployment rate in 54 years, manufacturing rebounding at a faster rate than in the last 40 years, inflation coming down, real, races, real wages going up, but moderately going up, not going through the roof, the economy growing at a solid clip. Put simply, I would argue the Biden economic plan is working. President Joe Biden in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building, part of the White House complex. At the end of his statement about the jobs report, he took one question on the economy. Take taking blame for inflation? No. Why not? Because it was already there when I got here, man. Remember what the economy was like when I got here? Jobs were hemorrhaging. Inflation was rising. We weren't manufacturing a damn thing here. We were in real economic difficulty. That's why I don't. President Biden in the Eisenhower Executive Office building. RNC Research tweeting a clip of the president talking about inflation and adding this. Inflation was 1.4 percent when President Biden took office. The inflation report from December showed 6.5 percent versus the year before. Congressman Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri, was interviewed on Fox Business Thursday night, and he did blame high inflation on President Biden. President Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer has created an inflation crisis by their reckless spending. Just in the last two years alone, they increased federal spending by $10 trillion over the next 10 years. That's absolutely outrageous. And what does that mean for everyday American? That means that they've now now have to pay more to put food on their table, clothes on their backs, and gasoline in their cars. Inflation is at a 40-year high because of reckless government spending. And what did you get for that? You got federal check federal checks going to prisoners. You have parking lots at beaches in South Carolina, ski resorts in Iowa. Just such wasteful government spending, but that's what that money went toward. Congressman Jason Smith on Fox Business Thursday night. He is chair of the Ways and Means Committee 
and also talked in the interview about plans to hold a hearing outside of Washington, D.C. on Monday in Petersburg, West Virginia. You know, we're doing things a whole lot different than what the Democrats did when they controlled Congress, and that is we are going out to talk to real Americans. This is the first field hearing that I've ever been a part of on the House Ways and Means Committee, and it's the first hearing of any member of Congress, uh, any committee, this member of Congress, and we are, we are wanting to know the status of America's economy in Appalachia. We want small businesses, families, just American workers telling us of the issues that they're facing in Biden's economy and what are the solutions. We don't need to go to K Street. We don't need to go to the halls in Washington, D.C. We need to go to real Americans to find the solutions. Congressman Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri, chair of the Ways and Means Committee on the Fox Business Channel last night. Wall Street today, the Dow down 127, NASDAQ down 193, S&P down 43. President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris in Philadelphia at a water treatment plant to announce $500 million to upgrade the city's water system and facilities and replace lead service lines. The latest in a string of appearances the president has made over the past week talking about transportation and infrastructure issues ahead of next week's State of the Union address. And tonight, the two, vice president and president, will be speaking at a Democratic National Committee winter meeting, as the president may announce soon whether he will run for re-election in 2024. Associated Press reporting the President Biden's speech comes the day before the DNC is set to approve an overhaul of presidential primary calendar starting next year that would replace Iowa with South Carolina in the leadoff spot. New Hampshire and Nevada would go second, followed by Georgia and Michigan, a change the president has championed to ensure that voters of color have more influence deciding the party's White House nominee. Well, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison interviewed about the new presidential primary schedule on MSNBC this afternoon. I'll start right in and say, you know what the critics say. They say you're prioritizing South Carolina simply as a thank you from President Biden to the state that turned around his 2020 campaign. What do you say to that? And what's the priority with this vote? Well, Chris, look at this. Since 1992, South Carolina has chosen, with the one exception was John Edwards, chosen the eventual nominee of the Democratic Party. None of the early states can say that. South Carolina, you know, something that President Biden said when he ran for president, by the time that we got to South Carolina, 99% of African Americans and almost 99% of Latino Americans had had no say in deciding who the presidential primary uh, candidate, candidates would be because the winnowing process had already taken place. So what we see now is that the Democratic Party has evolved a lot since the 1972 race when you saw Iowa and New Hampshire. And so now we are making sure that the diversity in our party is reflected in terms of the diversity of the selection of the next president of the United States. Well, let me ask you about another argument I I've heard, Jamie, which is that South Carolina already has a lot of power, that you have Iowa and New Hampshire winnowing the pool, and then South Carolina becomes the kingmaker, maybe someday the queenmaker, um, because, as you say, every nominee since 92, except John Edwards, has won the state. They say the biggest change is that being first in the nation brings travel and advertising dollars more than influence. What do you say to that? 
Well, the thing that I say is, if being first doesn't mean as much, why are people fighting so hard to have it, right? <laughs> Listen, it's important. It is really important to make sure that the most loyal constituencies of the Democratic Party, African Americans we see, Latino Americans, that they get an opportunity, just like everybody else, to have a say in terms of, and an early say in terms of determining who's going to be the most powerful person on the face of this planet. And that's what this does. It resets the table to make sure. And at the same time, we still see New Hampshire had, uh, retaining its same place that it's always had, had. You know, it's always been the second contest. There's always Iowa, and then you go to New Hampshire. And now it will be South Carolina, and you go to New Hampshire. So that does not change. Uh, so, but we're proud of this, uh, proud of this calendar because it really reflects not only the diversity of the Democratic Party, but the diversity of this great nation of ours. Jamie Harrison is Democratic National Committee Chair on MSNBC Today with host Chris Jansing as the DNC winter meeting is starting in Philadelphia. And that vote to approve the new Democratic Party presidential primary schedule is expected on Saturday. We will cover it on C-SPAN Radio and C-SPAN Television. You can listen and watch beginning Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. February is Black History Month, and on Wednesday, February 1st, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Democrat from Ohio, reintroduced her Black History is American History Act, which would require black history to be part of the U.S. Education Department's American History and Civics Academy's competitive grants, which are used to improve student achievement in elementary school. And on Thursday, Congresswoman Beatty led a news conference about this bill on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. Every year during Black History Month, our nation comes together to celebrate endless achievements and unparalleled legacies left by black heroes and sheroes whose shoulders we all stand on. You know their names if I would call them off. People like Shirley Chisholm, People like Martin Luther King Jr., people like John Lewis and Elijah Cummings, and so many more. Countless sung and unsung black Americans who contributed to the nation's progress from the Revolutionary War to the fight against COVID-19 and everything in between. But right now, black history is under attack. And when black history is under attack, American history is under attack. You see, when I think about how critical this is and the full complexity of our nation's past, present, and future, to deny black history from being taught is to deny our children the education they deserve. And indeed, education is a civil rights, and it is the key to a prosperous nation. Let me just ask you in this diverse audience, should not our children know about Kizzy Corbett as this nation deals with COVID-19? Should not our nation, as we talk about economics and growth and workforce, should they not know about a Sheila Johnson, an investor in real lifetime, 
someone who buys hotels and sports franchises, should they not know about Robert Smith, who in 2019 paid the tuition of every student at an HBCU, Morehouse College? And should not they know, as we stand on these grounds and look at a building that slaves built, that a black man from New York named Hakeem Jeffries <laughs> is the first black man to serve as a leader in this nation for any party. You see where I'm going? That's American history. And our children should know that. We should tell the truth about black history. Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Democrat from Ohio, at a news conference outside the U.S. Capitol building on Thursday on her Black History is American History Act introduced this week as February is Black History Month. CNN reports that two first responders were suspended Friday by the Tennessee Emergency Medical Services Division after they failed to render emergency care and treatment the night that Tyree Nichols encountered law enforcement, the agency announced. The Medical Services Division said Robert Long and Jamichael Lamar Sandridge failed to provide any basic emergency care for 19 minutes, despite Nichols exhibiting clear signs of distress, such as the inability to remain in a seated posture and laying prone on the ground multiple times. That reporting tonight from CNN. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word, to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night and weekend.